Tonight, we are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional film. For the dozen in attendance, and for the handful listening around the world, it's time for Remake Rumble! Hello and welcome to Remake Rumble, the podcast that pits a classic film against its remake, the old guard against the new, in a dazzling display of motion picture pugilism. Two films enter, one film leaves. My name is Johnny Lee, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Daniel, the Phantom Menace Gilmore. Hello, Daniel. Hello. And David, stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder, Rattigan. Hello, David. Hello there. Today's episode sees 1977's George Lucas-directed Star Wars, aka Star Wars A New Hope, locked in a duel of fates with 2015's J.J. Abrams-directed Star Wars The Force Awakens. Potential spoilers for any and all Star Wars media ahead. So, if you still haven't tackled 1979's Chewbacca activity booklet, consider hyperspace jumping away now. Which film is strongest with the Force? Help us, Remake Rumble. Your only hope. Released in 1977, Star Wars, or as it was later retitled, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, is the space opera to top all space operas. The mythic tale of a frustrated farmhand way out in the cosmos who finds himself the hero in an interplanetary struggle between good and evil. Directed by a then-up-and-coming George Lucas, Star Wars was something of a sensation in the 70s, becoming the highest-grossing film of its time and the recipient of seven Academy Awards. But mere historical novelty, it is not. Standing now as the proud parent of an ever-growing meteor empire that spans comic books, computer games, and of course, that holy cocktail of sight and sound, motion pictures. And indeed, one such flick is our challenger today, Episode 7, The Force Awakens, the series' sixth silver screen sequel, and the first to be produced by the Walt Disney Company. Picking up 30 years after the events of the original movies, The Force Awakens was sold to audiences as a long-awaited return to form after the much-maligned prequel trilogy, with Star Trek reboot director J.J. Abrams at the helm, Episode 5 screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan on the script, and a hefty box office haul to suggest the job was a good'un. But which movie will win this spectacular spar of the stars, this hardcore, top-drawer brawl of the wars? Prepare for the bruising battle of galactic proportions that is Remake Rumble. Let's begin by addressing the banth in the room. Why are we pitting the original Star Wars against The Force Awakens in a podcast about remakes? David, perhaps you could start us off. Well, obviously, we want the controversy. We want the hits. We want the clicks. We want the listens. That's what it's all about. That's that's the game we're in, right? Um no, but I mean, this is what the technically the Force Awakens is the seventh episode in a like a you know, nine episode series. So I guess strictly speaking, it's not a remake. We're actually dealing with a sequel, but could be regarded as a soft reboot because it's kind of the reintroduction of Star Wars after Disney bought the property from George Lucas, who you know who who originally created it. So I do wonder sometimes about this term "soft reboot" because I guess a reboot is where you reset the world and tell a new story with the same characters. And for me, a good example of that would be, say, Christopher Nolan's Batman rebooting the Batman franchise following the Tim Burton universe, right? You have the same characters, but you're telling completely new stories in a new continuity. But The Force Awakens isn't like that, at least not as extreme. It's definitely a sequel, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it is aping the same basic plot as the original Star Wars. So I'd almost be more inclined to call it something like a soft remake than a soft reboot. I think that's true. But equally, there's almost maybe more riding on it. The fact that this is such a statement of intent from Disney, that they're very aware that this isn't just the first of a couple of new films or whatever. This is theme parks, this is games, this is comic books, it's stories. It's In a way, I think it almost is a reboot in the sense that it's it's very much a line in the sand for what Star Wars is as a franchise. To use the to use mm. the, the very horrible word. Uh, so I have got here a list of major plot similarities between both the original Star Wars and A Force Awakens, in case any of our listeners are in any doubt about what we're talking about. So perhaps I'll just go through these quickly, and if I've forgotten anything, then please feel free to add them in. So we have Evil Empire. We start off, Evil Empire attacks a rebel base. 
mask-donning, cape-wearing, force-wielding antagonist appears looking for important data. Mm-hmm. Important data is then hidden inside a droid who becomes stranded on a desert planet. An orphaned protagonist who ekes out an existence on the desert planet feels the call to adventure but is held back by some sense of familial obligation. Protagonist's life changes when they find droids concealing data. The protagonist is taught about the Force by a wise father figure who was once close to the antagonist. The villain is accompanied by a high-ranking military officer, right? Tarkin in the original and Hux in Force Awakens. Han Solo is pursued by criminals who he owes money to. Heroes seek information in underworld tavern populated by weird and wonderful aliens. It, uh, villains construct unprecedented super space laser weapon, which blows up planets, undermining any opposition. Rebels gather on secret forest world to plan their attack on super space weapon. Antagonist watches father figure slain by villain. Rebels attack super space weapon from the air, flying through a trench, destroying it by striking a structural weak point, and super space weapon explodes, giving the rebels hope that they can one day defeat the evil empire for good. That sound about right? <sighs> I mean, that's sounding pretty cut and dry, to be honest. It's not far off, let's be honest. I should say now, I do think there is a lot more to it than that. But yeah, you are right. I mean, you can't you can't deny it. That is the skeleton structure that's that's there. Wait, so is Spaceballs a soft reboot then? <laughs> I think that's right. Okay. So you said to David that you think it's more complicated than that. So what do you have in mind? Well, I think it's what I'm saying about the fact that it's, uh, you know, it's a sequel. So, of course, there's more to it than it's just the same, same thing. I mean, there's whole new characters that are introduced Mm. here, whole new themes, whole new ideas. And a lot of this stuff, in my opinion, is actually really, is really compelling and really good and really interesting and really does expand the world. But, you know, equally, there's some stuff in there that isn't so great and... To be fair, a lot of that is actually the stuff that is just a retread, I would say. A lot of the new stuff, I think, mm. is actually really great. And I, I wish they'd kind of just push the new stuff more than uh, than be- feeling so scared as to having to rely on this old formula. Because actually, I think the new characters are are genuinely really good. I mean, they're, they're my favorite favorite point. I think the new cast jumps off the screen every time, every time <laughs> that, that, that I see them. Do you have any particular highlights? Anyone you're thinking of? Because I know I've got someone I'm thinking of. Who are you thinking of? Well, I might be thinking of Adam Driver because he's the only one I can really point out from the crowd, but that's fine. I mean, his character of Kylo Ren is obviously to talk again about this this whole remake reboot thing. You know, he's the Darth Vader of this piece, and obviously Darth Vader is the iconic villain, not just of of Star Wars, but kind of of all of all fiction. But the fact that it's not just a retread of Darth Vader, but actually it's trying to be Darth Vader, um, someone who has actually grown up in the shadow of Darth Vader and is actually self consciously trying to ape Darth Vader and that is thematically the point of his I character. And so how it's basically just some stroppy little git who basically just wears his Darth Vader mask <laughs> much like most of the fans of Star Wars. So that makes a lot of sense. It's not as effective a villain but I think he's a much better character and Adam Driver I think puts forward a really good performance compared to someone like Harrison Ford who maybe cashed the paycheck about three weeks into filming and was <laughs> kind of done but that's but well, that's what I mean. I think all the new characters, or sorry, all the new actors, every time they're on screen, they are doing work that is leaps and bounds above the actual, as they would say, legacy characters. I will say that when Harrison Ford appeared in the most recent film, Rise of Skywalker, he did seem to be much better than he was in Force Awakens. And when I saw him in Force Awakens, I just assumed that his acting was a result of just not being arsed with it all. Mm-hmm. But I do now wonder if maybe it was the, all the morphine from breaking the flag. <laughs> right. Yeah, I forgot about him being all basically decapitated by those doors or whatever. Jesus. What happened to him again? Was it a set of like automatic doors or what was I think it? He'll just trip over something, the Millennium Falcon. Oh, okay. Am I giving it too much of a glamour? Was he eaten alive by a big floppy tentacle monster? Was that what happened to him? <laughs> there was a plane crash as well, wasn't there? Around a similar time? Is that, or am I making that up? Bloody hell. That's right. Is it maybe like a couple of years before? Oh, okay. Okay, so presumably he, he was over that at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, whatever. That was like still two years ago. Plane crash, no problem. Just um, building what you were saying, David, about it being a little bit more complicated than just a straight up remake. I do also think it's worth mentioning all Star Wars films have always had this kind of repurposing and repeating of plot and imagery and motifs and so on. So the prequels... You know, likewise contain plot points and dialogue and all the rest of it from the original series. And that just seemed to be how George Lucas writes, either purposefully or because he's only ever had five ideas. I don't know. Yeah, it's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> exactly. He's always banging on about uh, it repeating and, and circling back in on itself. 
but I will say that I think that repetition repurposing has always been jumbled up and all over the place, whereas The Force Awakens is clearly trying to take the structure of uh, the original film and redo it. So I think it is a remake in a way that the other films aren't. Yeah, because I think there is an argument to say, I mean, remake is probably, if not definitely, too strong a word for um, the original Star Wars, but he was very self-consciously drawing from a grab bag of, of influences and was very open about that, that this was an old school film done with new technology and mm. set in space. And, you know, so he was drawing from the Saturday morning matinees that he'd watched when he was a kid, the kind of uh, Book Rogers, Flash Gordon type stuff and Robin Hood and Wild West and all this kind of stuff. He was, you know, he, he was trying to make a film that was of that ilk. He wasn't trying to make something that was new, and he was always open about that. Yeah, so I was thinking about this when I was re-watching it, because I've seen this film a million times, and I was trying to go in and get something new from it. And the thing that, obviously I've always known that, but I think this time it really stood out to me that, you know, George Lucas is coming from the same clique, the same sort of Hollywood milieu as people like Martin Scorsese or Francis Ford Coppola, you know, these like 70s new white wave directors, countercultural guys, mostly from California. I think George Lucas is from California. Who've all like internalized auteur theory and they're all reconsidering genre film and giving it sort of respect that the forebears never did. And they're all trying to subvert Hollywood in the same way. So I think, you know, Star Wars probably has more in common with something like The Godfather, which is going back and trying to do the gangster film in a respectful fashion. He, George Lucas is going off and taking all these different fantasy subgenres and sort of taking them seriously and treating them with this kind of auteur mindset that he has for better or worse. But also I think one of the things that is remarkable about it is that whilst it takes all these different things, as you say, from different things like the, you know, the Flash Garden serials and whatnot, it manages to be more than just a, an homage to them. Mm-hmm, like it definitely. does have its, its own very distinctive identity. You, like you don't need to know anything about those films. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know anything about Kurosawa or Errol Flynn or Flash Garden to sit down and really enjoy the original Star Wars. No, and of course most people don't because I mean it is ultimately a kid's film and that's not to put it down. Cause I mean, again, George Lucas is always very open about the fact that this was a film for children mm-hmm. and just as he had grown up with the kind of things that we were just discussing. He was very aware of the fact that kids in the 70s did not have those same kinds of bits of media out there, and he wanted to make something that would appeal to them. Mm, Yeah. I was a bit disappointed to see how little it inherited from, say, like the late 60s sci-fi films like Barbarella or like Quasimass in the Pit. Like, I wish Mm. I'd seen more inspirations from that. In what sense? What specifically? Like, I want to see more... I think the creature designs are really interesting. I've always been fascinated by, like, who comes up with these designs? Who, like, comes up with how they, like, locomote and all this kind of stuff? Like, I really want to see that. Like, that's the part of the film that really interests me. But I feel like there's just not enough of that um, kind of campy fun time experience <laughs> to Star Wars that I, that I kind of want like I want kind of tacky like I want the Star Wars fight based, uh, not the Star Wars the Star Trek fight like I want that <laughs> William Shatner fighting a big lizard I feel like there's quite a bit of tackiness in this film it, oh, sorry in, in not, A New Hope In A New Hope kind of but not quite like I feel like it, it had just enough gloss that I managed to get past it like mm-hmm. even though you could still tell that some of the Imperial prisons had like stucco covered walls and all this kind of stuff but I, I, I want to see more of that kind of stuff from it and Force Awakens pushed even further away from that like it was so determined to be taken seriously like you said it's meant to be the first of another three if not four or five or six films it's kind of a shame to see them pull away from the fun of it certainly in the way that i'd want it to as i've said before i hate the modern humor that they put in blockbusters these days and the force awakens is riddled with it i think that's really interesting but i think if you put it in the context of its time that's the very sort of science fiction that a lot of people were tired of True. That mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they were really fed up of low budget like you've got this kind of paradox in cinema where you know, the likes of your kind of um, sort of low-key borderline science fiction like, I don't know, Clockwork Orange or something like that mm. is getting a much bigger budget than your big space operas, which actually really need those big budgets in order to do the special effects justice. Mm. And Star Wars is one of the first films that gets that budget and has the expertise that it can really make something. Um, and I, I think, yeah, it has some kind of record-breaking number of special effects um, in the film. Actually, I recently stumbled across this old encyclopedia, Encyclopedia of Science Fiction. Um, if any of our listeners are interested, it's edited by Robert Oldstock and has a, an introduction by Isaac Asimov. They're not interested in that rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> it's Who mostly... do you think our listeners are? 
It's mostly about literature, but it has a little section on sci-fi film at the beginning. So I should say, the book came out in 1978, so one year after Star Wars was released. And it's got a little section on science fiction film, and generally speaking, it's really rude about sci-fi film. Um, <laughs> including 2001 Space Odyssey, which it dismisses as wow. being like a little rubbish. Anyway, it loves Star Wars. It sings the praise of Star Wars. And actually, this comes back to the thing we were saying about Star Wars being influenced by all these different um, sort of adventure and war genres and whatnot. In fact, I'll just read this little paragraph because I think it's interesting to see that in 1978, people were, were really aware of this stuff. It was transparent mm-hmm. at the time. So they write, In Star Wars, one can see elements of Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers, The Wizard of Oz, The Sword in the Stone, just about every Errol Flynn swashbuckler, Tarzan, and Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, while in the climactic attack on the dark, the dark star. Okay, I thought I'd read that wrong. No, they call it the dark star. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, Lucas, who employed footage from old war movies to plan the sequence, echoes of the bridge at Tokori and the Dam Busters can be detected in his script and its execution. There are references to most of science fiction's best writers. The planet Tatooine, for instance, evokes much of the feeling of Frank Herbert's Dune trilogy, and there are echoes of Robert Sheckley. I thought it was interesting. Mm. Okay. Sounds like a wonderful film, i got to be honest. Yeah, I'd like to see this film. That sounds like something I want to watch. <laughs> so, Daniel, before you were saying that st- that you thought A New Hope could... But you liked all the aliens mm-hmm. and all the creature design, and you wanted more of that, mm. right? Yeah, I, that's always what I want. I want to see more Stan Winston. We, we talked about this in the thing. Like, I love big, gooey, gory stuff. Like, I want to see... I want to see like some physical effect, which I think The Force Awakens did quite well, considering it's meant to be in this glossy CGI experience of the cyber future that is the decade of the 2010s. But I want to see more of it, and I think that's why I'm kind of more interested in the the making of of this film than I am mm. in the actual film itself. Mm. Like, because it, it is that whole thing you said about the Wizard of Oz and, and taking on like a monomyth and all the hero story and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, fair enough. That's all accurate. It's all interesting from an academic perspective, but it doesn't make for that interesting a story. Like. When I was sitting down to watch it, like, I've never been that interested in Star Wars as a whole. Like, it is kind of basic. I don't think. Like, if you really watch it, like, like Leia and Han Solo are not, like, nice people. And they're not really that interesting or compelling. They've got, like, their occasional, like, frissons. Like, they kind of speak to each other a little bit. And, like, all the characters kind of interact. But it's not actually that great as, like, a dialogue piece. If that makes sense, and like, well, yeah, I just want, I, I want, I want more out of it. You know, I think mean? specifically the dialogue. You mean? Yeah, or... yeah. I mean, it's unfair again because it is a kids' film. I'm not going to sit here going, oh, you know, oh, the measles scene is very Detroit <laughs> or whatever. I mean, like, to I'm be not fair, gonna... the actors themselves were critical of the dialogue. Well, I mean, I'm not really sure Carrie Fisher knew where she was at any point. I think she was <laughs> too busy occupying different parallel planes. But when it comes down to Star Wars, I think I want a sci-fi film that can tell a story. But can also come at it with a real perspective, whereas this doesn't have it. Like it's not really got a perspective. It's just like you know, good and bad. Here's some people with some daft faces. Here's a like a monkey alien that looks like a bum. That's great. Everyone's <laughs> having a good time. And here's some blue milk. Great. Like that. So it's fine. But it's all surface. Which is why you know when Disney bought it out, it's like yeah, that makes total sense. I I think I would disagree with that, but I'm I'm interested to know what what Johnny okay. thinks. Yeah. So I take your point. I'm not sure if this is going to address the criticism that it's all surface level per se. Okay. But what I what I would say is that this original 1977 film is more interesting and much weirder than people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. And I think it's much weirder and more interesting than other Star Wars films in many ways, at least in different ways. So for instance, for about the first 20 minutes of this film, we basically follow two robots, right? One's this golden humanoid with the accent of a camp British butler. Yep. The other is a dome on stilts that speaks in beeps and boops. <laughs> right? Luke, Luke Skywalker, the protagonist, isn't in, like, the first fifth of the film or something, not to mention Han Solo. So think of how long this film goes without a single normal human being showing up. <laughs> and then when they do show up, they're banging on about Toshi Station and power converters. And I don't think that is how you normally start a film. And in 1977, it's certainly not how you start a science fiction film. And by the way, just as an, as an aside, I think this does differ from The Force Awakens because I think there, the heroes are on screen much quicker and for longer. Yeah, 100%. But you, yeah. The, the cantina scene, for me, is like peak weirdness. So from the opening shots form this kind of montage of creepy creatures like he describes. Mm. And honestly, I think it's actually very dreamlike, almost nightmarish sometimes. Yeah. It's like the, con- the contents of George Lucas's dreams after a weekend 
cheeseboard bender. Yeah, after three days worth of blue milk, baby. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I do think that in some ways it is more interesting than people often give it credit for. Okay, so take take the sandcrawler as well, mm. which again fits into that period of the film where there's like no relatable humans to speak of. Is the sandcrawler that big boxy thing that where they have all the junk? That's right. Right, okay. So again, it's really alien. It's really, I would say, again, borderline nightmarish. And it's very Jim Henson. Mm -hmm. You have this this parade of weird and wonderful creatures for their own sake, not Mm. human in sight. Mm. And I think one of the things that I really like about Jim Henson's work is often that absence of humans. And I think this really peaks in something like Dark Crystal, where there are literally no humans. And I think you get a bit of it here in A New Hope. No, I, I would agree with you on that. that. That, for me, is one of the things I do love about this film so much. And actually, that was George Lucas's intent, was he just wanted to make the kind of weirdest thing possible. Just throw people into this alien world, literally this alien world, not explain every bit of information. You know, that was very purposeful. Mm. That wasn't a kind of fault on his part. He was he, he, What he was trying to emulate was, at film school, he had this experience of watching lots of films that were of cultures and, and histories that he wasn't particularly familiar with. And as a result of that, you know, you were kind of just thrown into this world and just expected to keep up. And he loved the idea of that and wanted to kind of replicate that feeling in Star Wars, basically. And loads of people at the time criticized the film because they thought it was too fast paced because they couldn't keep up with it. They didn't know what was going on. Because it's like, you know, as you say, you with robots and aliens and all this kind of crazy stuff that is just being thrown at you minute after minute. Mm. So it's uh yeah, very, very weird film. And I love that about it. And I would also say on top of that, adding to the weirdness is and coming also back to those Flash Garden and influences right the opening crawl that you have at the beginning and i think this is difficult for us to appreciate because we sort of take the star wars franchise as a whole everything we know about it already we bring to bear on our interpretation of the 1977 film but imagine sitting down in the cinema in 1977 and suddenly the opening crawl starts right it says episode four like, wait what <laughs> what's going on here yeah um, i actually know what i should I mean, this is super nerdy, but strictly speaking, it didn't say episode four in 77. Oh, did it not? Okay, right. So they added that in later. But he did want to have that. Okay. For that, for that exact reason, again, that he he wanted to have that in there. And Fox were just like, why would you have that? That doesn't make any sense. This isn't the fourth film. Who even says we're going to give you any sequels to this? I mean, why on earth would you have that? So he was sadly overruled and they took it out. But they, they re-added it because of that reason. Because again, they wanted to pile on the pile on the weirdness. Well, thanks for making me look like an idiot on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) There'd be someone who'd say it. There'd be someone who'd say it. I had to, I had to step in. I'm sorry. But okay. But nonetheless, the opening crawl talks as if there are these other films that you have seen, which you haven't, right? These, these made up events as if you're watching, you know, episode 10 of a Flash Garden serial. And it speaks as if you understand what all these weird proper nouns are referring to. Mm -hmm. So again, I think that is interesting. Yeah, it is. I mean, I don't think it is weird enough. I think I'm not giving enough credit for the time that was made. I'll give you that. But when I want, I want June. I want David Lynch stuff. I want to see Sting and Falcon Pants. I want to see um, people talk about Spice. I want to see like that kind of stuff. Like I don't, I don't think it goes quite far enough. And when you're talking about like the opening with the droids, if you kind of break it down, it is just, you know, it is just a couple of people walking around, passing things along and establishing something. Like it's not necessarily in terms of narrative that bold or interesting. It is still just a slow open. And on top of that, I don't think it's a very effective one either. It's kind of boring. Like if you really sit down and watch it, like it's just a couple of people bumbling around, not really accomplishing much. I don't know. Star Wars has never done it for me. <laughs> I'll be honest. What about Force Awakens? Where does that fall on your weird scale? So Force Awakens is especially egregious considering the massive amount of like legacy we now have in terms of sci-fi. It's like there's so much rich history you can pick from. You could, there's so much you can learn from it and there's so many risks you could take. The 1977, the 1977 film, sorry, I can forgive because it is just like you try new things. It's a kid's film. Like it's not designed to necessarily break through every boundary. I do disagree with the whole Godfather stuff. I don't think it's necessarily trying to be a genre film in that sense. I think it's just trying to be a sci-fi film with heavy influences. What I'm trying to get through with, with The Force Awakens is just like, it, it kind of exemplifies the main problem with remakes for me, where they can't possibly 
take anything different out of it because the whole point of it is that you're buying the brand. And when you buy the brand, you're buying everything that comes with it. So all this talk about how, like, you know, the sort of New Hope, Luke doesn't know about the legacy of the first three films. You know, like, that's kind of like what, how I wanted The Force Awakens to feel. I wanted this to feel like a complete break. But at the same time, why then set it in the Star Wars universe? And that, to me, is, is the big problem. Like, if you compare that with Star Trek, which, you know, could been out years before Star Wars, look at the kind of stories they were trying to tell. Look at the, da- like, you know, the dangerous things they were trying to do. Like, not just in sci-fi, but in the real world. Like, you know, you had the first interracial kiss on TV and in terms of Star Trek like that kind of stuff is dangerous and bold and daring and interesting and not just in a narrative sense and that's kind of what I wanted mm-hmm. Star Wars to be which is why it's so interesting that J.J. Abrams I think did a really good job of rebooting Star Trek at the same time I don't hate The Force Awakens by any means by the way like this isn't to say that it's oh it's crap and it's not worth your time like it's still a fine film but you know if you're looking for a science fiction film like go watch Arrival go watch Annihilation go watch any of these like really cool modern films and that's how you do sci-fi that's interesting I mean I would agree with that when it comes to The Force Awakens, but I don't really feel that about... I'm not saying that the original Star Wars has a particularly powerful message or something behind it. Mm-hmm. I do think that there is a very original vision like to go out and take all these various influences from Kurosawa to Frank Herbert to whoever and piece it all together into this really strange new you know, science fiction universe, which at the same time really pushes uh, all these special effects technologies... I think there is something there. There's clearly a vision. And I think it's in some in some ways quite ironic that given how fresh Star Wars was in 1977, that The Force Awakens feels the exact opposite in, in remaking that very film. Mm-hmm. But, but understandably so, right? This is 21st century Disney, as David said earlier, starting off in this new age of Star Wars. And what better way to bank on you know, make an absolute ton at the box office than to essentially go out and, and make a, f- a film whose plot you already know works and focus on things like making the film look like a Star Wars film put in all that sort of fan service references to other Star Wars films. Yeah, That's a guaranteed way of making money. So of course you're going to do that. I think there are bold things about it as well, though. I mean, the fact that it's a female main character, I think that's important. A black main character as well, I think that's Mm. important. I mean, those are two really bold choices. Not that they should be, of course, but blockbuster cinema has for the longest time been very male and very white. And Star Mm. Wars is kind of the leading blockbuster franchise has historically been quite poor on this front, even with characters like, you know, Princess Leia and Lando Calrissian. Mm. So I think it's a big deal that women and people of colour are centre stage for this grand, you know, resurrection of the series. There's also a Scottish character at last. <laughs> right, yeah. And correctly enough, is a complete <laughs> arsehole and gang member. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's never going to be enough time to talk about, like, tokenism and the role of, like, representation within media versus, like, actual material differences in, in racism and societal effects. Like, that's a whole other discussion that's, like, a thesis piece that other people can definitely talk about much more interestingly than I can. I'll say, again, on the surface, it is just kind of like a surface choice. Daisy Ridley was fine. John Boyega was fine. Like, I've not, I'm not, like, attacking them, but I can't help but be cynical about those choices because it's Disney, because it was a commercial decision. Every decision they made was a correct commercial decision mm. was that No, I done? strongly disagree because I, I really think Daisy Ridley and John Boyega are the stars of the... I mean, well, they literally are, of course, yeah, but I mean, I think the acting from both of them mm. is amazing in different elements. I mean, there's mm. they're really funny. The acting dramatically is also really good. I mean, I, particularly, there's a scene with Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver where Adam Driver as the villain is interrogating Daisy Ridley. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, apparently that was one of the audition scenes for daisy ridley and the emotion and intensity of that performance i think is really incredible really better than anything in star wars there's a real life i think to the performances here and for me all my criticisms of this film as being slightly safe i've always felt that the characters are really what allowed me to be drawn into the world again i think yeah of course i'll give you mm. full credit for like that that's absolutely correct daisy Ridley and john boyega both did fantastically like i'm not criticizing them for that i'm saying more like if you look at the way that they tread rules in the last jedi and basically in the next film wrote around it's difficult not to see that as a pattern as like well now they've gotten into those rules they've kind of fulfilled it and then you can chuck them away 
that's what the kind of oh thing yeah, I mean pause. Rose Tico, Kelly Marie Tran. I, I, yeah. I, again, her character I thought was great in the Last Jedi, and I thought the mm. fact that they were she was removed in Rise of Skywalker was crazy. Completely, completely. But that, that's the kind of thing that gives you pause. Where it's like, okay, well, obviously they're fantastic actors; they completely deserve to be in those roles. I'm never challenging that for a second. But as a executive, you know, I don't for a second give them any credit for doing that. I give Daisy Ridley and John Boyega every bit of credit for being fantastic actors, and I think that's the position I want to come from it from, mm-hmm. which is like mm-hmm. I don't want to give disney any benefit for that because i've seen what they've done in other places you can see how they've tried you know like things like lgbt representation in the rise of skywalker you've seen how they've done like completely capitulated to different markets who've been less than liberal when it comes to that kind of stuff i have no faith in them giving any representation or any power to that at all and i think that's more the point i wanted to make so so i'm kind of glad that you brought that up and that they are still really good actors but that's kind of the point i wanted to make on that mm-hmm. it's a bit too serious actually i should probably like i don't know talk about bum farts or whatever <laughs> It's interesting, in reading about A New Hope, George Lucas apparently flirted with the idea of, well, firstly, Luke at one point was a woman. Also, he flirted with the idea of it being an entirely black cast, which I think is really fascinating. Mm. And also, because of the Kurosawa, uh, you know, samurai kind of influence, um, he was thinking of having quite a lot of Japanese actors. I think he there was an idea where he might have cast... Japanese actors as Obi-Wan and Princess Leia as well. So I think, I think that's quite interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's an argument to say that in having this more diverse cast, The Force Awakens is kind of closer to George mm-hmm. Lucas's original vision for Star Wars. George Lucas also said that the rebels in the original trilogy are inspired by the Viet Cong and the Empire are based on the US. Um, not that that's transparent at all from the film, given that it's basically just good guys versus bad guys. I mean, every, everyone was doing that. I mean, Ursula Kelly Guan was doing that. Like, everyone loved doing Vietnam allegories. Yeah, but Ursula Le Guin, like, the, those, the political subtleties are obviously quite transparent in the literature, right. whereas you can clearly be a massive apologist for US intervention in Vietnam and perfectly enjoy the original trilogy. That's, that's true, and I did. Yeah, they were right. Right. Because, you, <laughs> because like, you identify the evil empire with communism or basically whoever your political enemies are. Are, they are the empire and you are the freedom loving rebels and honestly that's probably part of the success because it's what allows you to sell first order merchandise right you can't sell Heinrich Himmler lunchboxes <laughs> but you, you can sell Kylo Ren lunchboxes the Nazis did try but they didn't catch on <laughs> Speaking of the Empire and the First Order and coming back to comparing these two films, mm-hmm. something that I found on repeat viewing of The Force Awakens was that I was no less confused by the setup of the film. Mm. And, and I think I'm far from the only one. So mm. you know, all these questions like, why does Leia need to lead a resistance? Why don't the Republic just stop them? What's the relationship to the Empire? And how did the Republic let the First Order get this far after everything that's happened? And I think these are all questions we have because we're going into The Force Awakens with prior knowledge. And this is where I think just copying the plot of A New Hope, but also being a sequel to that film doesn't work for it. Mm-hmm. And they should have had the confidence just to, to write in a more, a more original plot. Because the whole thing about, as we've already discussed, the original Star Wars film, is that it begins in media's res, right? As an audience member, you're not only thrown into fight, a battle in space, you're also thrown into the middle of this saga, as established by Kroll. And as a result, you don't need to ask questions like, oh, where does the Empire come from? Because... You know, there are all these fictional events that come before it. Um, and also, it quickly becomes clear that the Empire have been the government for whatever it is, 40 years. So they are the status quo. So for our heroes and us as the audience members by extension, this regime is the norm. So like, you might have questions about the history of the Empire, but that's just an opportunity to let your imagination run wild. It's not a narrative obstacle for you to get your head around. Whereas I think in The Force Awakens, we've already seen the prequels in the original trilogy. So we're starting off with that knowledge. The knowledge that it took three films for the Empire to rise to power and three more to defeat it. And yet suddenly, oh, they're back. Empire <laughs> 2.0, which is more powerful yeah. than the Galactic Empire. Yeah. And there's no explanation of how this how this happened. And I just always think that there's a lot that they're asking of you as an audience yeah, member. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's funny because I've always thought, I mean, ignore the prequels for a second. I've always thought that the used future aesthetic that Star Wars was going for in its production design, that kind of everything's dirty and scrappy and... Um, and so on. I always thought that that was partly a symptom of the Empire as this authoritarian regime, that everything was starved for resources. So Tatooine's this kind of barren place. Part, I mean, it never consciously says this in the film, but it's partly like that because the Empire is so, has got such a, an iron grip on the, on the galaxy. And then it's odd to me that you then go to um, The Force Awakens, which is, you know, a couple of, you know, whatever it is, 30 years after the events of the final film, 
things seem to look exactly the same, like things don't seem to have improved at all, even though the fascist regime has been dismantled. And I suppose taking the prequels back into consideration, part of the difference in the aesthetic was supposed to reflect that, like things are much cleaner and shinier and slick. Yeah, I mean, of course, partly that's because George Lucas was using all this new technology that couldn't quite render the scuff marks and so on, but... George loves his tech. He loves every bit of tech he can get. I couldn't get an unadulterated version of the first one. I had to watch it with the bullshit CGI nonsense. Mm. It's really disgusting. Yeah, and that's a problem. It's a problem that to watch this film, you do have to ignore a lot of rubbish, really. There's some subtle CG changes which you don't really notice, some establishing shots you don't really notice. But things like when Moss Eisley becomes like a DreamWorks film, (laughs) <laughs> don't get it. a bit where harrison ford floats over a cgi jabba the hook great right i mean everyone loves crazy that. it's so bad it's so noticeable and the irony is presumably george lucas partly did this to try and make his film stand the test of the test of time sorry to update it with all this new technology but ironically it just makes the, look, the film look more dated and more shit i need more rocks <laughs> <laughs> um Coming back to The Force Awakens, the use of Starkiller Base is basically the Death Star, but even more powerful, was that it it kind of undermined the previous film. Again, if you think about it moving from Return of the Jedi to this, you've gone through these three films trying to overcome the Empire, and then by the very next film, they have what looks like the world's biggest Pokeball, but is the ultimate, even more powerful weapon of destruction that can destroy multiple planets. I don't know, it kind of undermines everything that they achieved. Well, I think the problem is, again, this is where it's a moment that just by looking at the plot on Wikipedia of A New Hope and then transferring that to a new film doesn't make sense because the stakes are a lot higher when the Death Star blows up the planet. Mm. Because, you know, as you say, they're both planet-destroying devices. And the point in the original film is that this is the planet that one of our characters that we've grown to know and like over the course of the film. That's where her family is from and where she lives. And it's also established, you know, it, it has a has a link. In this one, The Force Awakens, it's just three random planets. We don't know anyone who's there. And it kind of just moves on. They need mm. visuals. JJ said, I want some explosions, so they got some explosions. It's fine. And it does look nice. Yeah. And I think the music at that point is quite yeah. nice as well, That from yeah. John Williams. Ironically, I think the snow fight, like, well, the snow fight, the fight in the snowy forest, actually, I think it was probably the best looking bit of the whole film. So I don't think they needed it, but that's by the by. And interesting that it's snow, because I was thinking in terms of what they were doing with this film as a reboot, that you have a snow planet, you have a desert planet, you have a forest planet, and that's kind of, generally speaking how the original trilogy was set up. The main planet in the first film was a desert planet. The main planet in the second film was this snow planet, or at least the most iconic, I suppose not the main one. Mm. Um, And then obviously Endor, the moon of Endor, is a big deal in the final of the original films. And again, you have that here. So I I wonder if that was a conscious choice to make the three movements follow the same kind of topography. It just makes it easier to make levels for the video game. (laughs) Which I bought, I should say. I bought the Lego Star Wars Force Awakens, yeah. It's a fascinating thing, actually, because you were talking about being cynical, Dan, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of stuff in this game to be cynical about, I think. Like, there are loads of additional bonus levels you can buy. I mean, absolutely loads Mm. that fill in, quote-unquote, backstory for The Force Awakens. Mm. So, for example, there's a level dedicated to discovering why C-3PO has a red arm in this particular Mm. film. I'm struggling to think of a story I could be less interested in, but that's that's interesting. (laughs) I like that. I don't disagree, and that's what I mean. I mean, I think the problem with it is... Uh You know, I remember watching it in the cinema and thinking to myself, transparently, the only reason why he has a red arm now is because they are going to do something that explains why he has a red arm. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, the game is where that is explored. And I I do think that's a problem with the way that Star Wars is set up at the moment in that there's a a lot of expectation that you will go off and discover this stuff for yourself. I mean, as you were saying about the First Order, I mean, I think, strictly speaking, I think it is explained in... I think it's like a trilogy of novels or something, how this happened. But of course, you know, the main moviegoer is not going to go off and invest time in doing that. And I don't think they should be expected to. I don't think it's unreasonable to say that that stuff should really be on the screen. I mean, you have to be a special kind of loser to read Star Wars books. Not like me, who's a very cool guy who read the Halo books. (laughs) Phasma really struck me as a character who was conceived solely to sell toys. I would own those toys, though. I think that's a great character design. (laughs) 
You thought that was a great character design. It's just a stormtrooper, but shiny. Exactly. I, <laughs> okay. I, I think that's great. <laughs> Inspired. I'll take three. I mean, I hated the Rise of Skywalker. Genuinely hated the Rise of Skywalker. But the Sith Trooper, which is basically just a red stormtrooper, mm. I have a lot of time for that design. I mean, you can criticize Star Wars for a lot of things, but I think visually it's always next level. Um, which is why I kind of take issue with what you were saying about some of the weird stuff, because I think the creature designs and everything throughout this entire saga, it's always incredible, I think. The creature design, the costume design, top notch. I won't fight you on that. I will agree with you on that. Like, even the prequels, I think, had amazing costumes, had things to see and things to do and all that kind of stuff. Great. Love that. The weirdness to me is like, you get all these amazing, lumpy, gooey creatures, and you just kind of like sit them in a room, and they all kind of, oh, it's like chess, but like, everyone's a bit hairy. You know, it's like, Okay. And, like, what's, what comes next? Like, that, that's not weird to me. Like, I want to see people do something that I wouldn't even see on Earth. Like, something that you can't really fathom. Like, I feel like they're not pushing imagination. They're just taking props from other sci-fi films and applying them in, in places where you'd normally see people. It's the same kind of philosophy as, like, cats and dogs. Like, you, you put a dog at a place where there should be a person. Ugh. But, like, if the dog... Are you like... seriously comparing Star Wars to cats and dogs? And I'd do it again. <laughs> wow. Wow, I'll, that is I'll the... make no apologies. Send all emails directly to me. I'll fight you on this. Wow. You should be hung in the streets for that. I am the Piers Morganus podcast. Vegan sausage rules, I won't have them. <laughs> all of it. This, this is my parachute out of here. I'm just going to start a Patreon and just get loads of people to sign up for me on my controversial <laughs> views. Um, is it time for a quiz? Oh, God. I could go for a quiz. Why hang not? on, wait, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Can I just establish just before we go? Before we go, how many questions has David seen of this? <laughs> um, up to possibly a hundred percent. Okay. So, oh, what color was Walt Disney's left testicle? Oh, I wonder. Oh. Well, well, okay, we'll see, we'll see. Just, just okay. rip it, rip okay. it. <laughs> All right, let's find out who will be going. To Jedi Academy, oh, and who's a galactic idiot? <laughs> I already have my suspicions. Okay, <clears throat> question one. Uh-huh. Star Wars is usually regarded as the second science fiction film to be nominated for a Best Picture Academy Award. What was the first? A. Silent Running. B. Clockwork Orange. C. Solaris. Or D. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Ooh. Go on, David. Tell me the answer. You know what? I'm not. I'm not totally sure. Um, oh my goodness that final answer sounds like a joke one but I kind of hope it's real I mean I really hope that's a real 50s B movie oh it very much is it's it's a real trip please watch it it's a very good film not quite as good as Attack of the Killer Clowns but one of your top three killer films <laughs> absolutely I think I'm going to say Solaris oh you you get that was what I was going to say uh, I can't see you can't, it. You can't go for the same answer. Can't go for the same thing. That's how quizzes work. That's so annoying. I hate how quizzes make you do this. Um, what was it again? So it was Solaris was the third one. Tomatoes was the fourth one. Silent Running. God, it's so difficult to listen oh. to you speak. It's not Silent <laughs> Running because that was a terrible film. What was the second one? A Clockwork Orange. There you go. It'll be Clockwork Orange, surely. Okay, and the answer is a Clockwork Orange. Yeah, oh, buddy. wow. I'm the winner. Um, again. Bloody hell. But it lost to the French Connection. Okay, question two. Sorry, I just lost my notes. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> I, don't, I don't bother memorising the quiz in advance. Okay, who did George Lucas consider to voice Darth Vader? Was it A, Orson Welles, B, Burt Reynolds, C, Paul Newman, or D, Barbara Streisand? Yes! Barbara Streisand every time, could you imagine? I mean, James Earl Jones, we didn't talk much about him, but amazing performance. But Barbara Streisand could have could have done better. It, 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 could, it could be could be argued. It's got to be Orson Welles, right? I mean, who else has a voice in that list that could, could match his? I think it's got to be him. Yeah, but he was like 80% wine at this point. Like, there's no way he had the kind of fortitude required to go through a whole film. Burt Reynolds. It's not Burt Reynolds, but again, I'm going to have to go with Burt Reynolds because he picked Orson Welles. <laughs> okay. Well, the correct answer is Orson Welles. Fuck, yes. And Lucas has said that he feared Welles' voice would be too recognisable. You know, it's interesting, on the subject of Orson Welles, in the Lego Star Wars Force Awakens DLC that I was talking about, uh. one of the characters, in fact, it was the whole alien species, had very Orson Welles-esque voices. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why that was, but... 
Um, I was going to point that out. Mm. Um, so it's nice that I've had a had an opportunity to do so. <laughs> okay. Question three: The voice of Chewbacca is mostly the noise of what animal? A. Bear. B. Buffalo. C. Stag. Or D. Barbara Streisand. <laughs> uh, well, I know for a fact that in Mass Effect, the noise of the aliens was made by like, those big bins they have to keep out bears. Yeah, and that is the question that I asked you. <laughs> Don't think there were any any bins on that that list. I mean, a stag is basically a big bin for like leaves and stuff. Is that what stags eat? Do stags eat leaves? What <laughs> do they eat? Uh... Chips? I think they eat chips. I think that's right. <laughs> Right, hurry up, I've got to go to bed. Let, let me just say stag then, because obviously Johnny's got to go, like, I don't know, <laughs> leave an assault on the nursery school nearby. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> right, David? Well, I'm going to say bear. I, I'm pretty sure I've read that bear is the thing, so I'm going to go for bear. Well, the answer is, in fact, bear, along with some lion, camel, rabbit, tiger, and badger. Huh. Okay, question four. Peter Cushing famously found Grand Moff Tarkin's boots uncomfortable. In the shots where you can't see his feet, Cushing is wearing what item of footwear? Is it A, moccasins, B, flip-flops, C, fuzzy slippers, or D, wheelies? <laughs> uh, he wasn't wearing moccasins. I know that much. I was there. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was wearing like those cuddly bunny slippers. Okay, you're going for slippers, David? Yeah, I think I'd want to go for slippers as well, but I guess I can't. Um, oh, can't. I took it. I took it first. Yeah, I, you can't do it. I took it. I don't. When did we establish that rule? I hate that rule. Well, you know, <sighs> blame the Queen. Yeah, bloody Queen. Well, you know what? Peter Cushing on wheelies. It's it's a fun image. So I'm all about fun. You know me. That's <laughs> my middle name. So let's go for wheelies. Okay. Well, the answer is, of course. Fuzzy slippers. Yeah. I mean, of course it is. What else would you wear? Please tell me there's another one because this can't. Okay, there's another one. There's another one. Okay, 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 question five. Right. Which director was considered for The Force Awakens? Was it A. Catherine Bigelow, B. Guillermo del Toro, C. Ang Lee, or D. N. Night Shyamalan? Uh, I need to guess quick because otherwise Dave will get the best answer and I won't be able to make it. I'm actually not sure, to be honest. I mean, I actually know for a fact that Brad Bird was going to direct this film at one point, and he dropped out to do Disney's groundbreaking Tomorrowland. Well, I knew, I knew that you would know that, which is why I didn't really? put it as an answer. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was not a good bet on Brad's part. Okay, I need your final answers. Uh, I think it was Del Toro because he, he's a hot thing right now. Okay, you're going Del Toro, David. Uh, Bigelow, Bigelow, big it up for Bigelow. The answer is Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, buddy. Are you joking? I'm the winner. Has Daniel okay, won this quiz? I tell, you what, I tell you what, there's a bonus question I'm going to ask. Oh, God. Extended edition. Um, so now's your chance. Absolutely. You're going to have to be quick on this one. Okay, here we go. God. In an earlier version of the script for The Force Awakens, the character of Kylo Ren was reportedly a dark Jedi who powered himself up by absorbing the energy of stars. What was his name? Was it A, Jedi Slayer, B, Jedi Killer, uh-huh. C, Darth Icky, or D, Darth Insanius? See, now, I've heard those last two before. I know for a fact that George Lucas is stupid enough to use one of those two names. I'm just trying to think about which one of those is daft enough for him to think of. Wait, actually, hang on. Is it definitely Icky, or is it just David Icke? Because that's how it's pronounced. Okay, I'm going to go for Insanius. Okay, and David? I think I'd go for... I think what, it was something killer, right? I think that would make some kind of sense because what you're describing sounds a bit like Starkiller base. So maybe did Kylo Ren... Did that transform into Starkiller base or something? Starkiller base? You vastly overestimated George. I'll just say that now. <laughs> Drum roll. The answer is... Jedi Killer. Yes. What? Oh, yes. But... I snatched defeat from the jaws of... Daniel. <laughs> but Do- both Darth Icky and Darth Insanius were real actual names that George Lucas suggested for the protagonist of the video game Force Unleashed. There you go. So okay. does that mean that we get the least satisfying ending of all? That's right. Great. What a great choice to have six questions, Johnny. In keeping, in keeping with the trilogy. Wow. So did I win or was that a draw? It was a draw. Oh. Well, that's, doesn't, that's not very good. <sighs> I guess we're both galactic idiots. <laughs> <sighs> Fair enough. Fair okay. enough. I think it's time that we went to the scorecards. 
Now, I know only a Sith deals in absolutes, but the premise of this podcast demands an answer. Which film do you think is better? Daniel, let's start with you. Uh, uh, I'm going to say Force Awakens is better. I think that might be a bit controversial, but I actually do think Go. it's better. Oh, I've just died. I just choked to death. <laughs> David. I feel a great disturbance in the Force. <laughs> David, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Well, I mean, I think you have to say that it's Star Wars 1977. I think you have to. But that's not because The Force Awakens is a bad film, because I don't think it is. In fact, I think there's a lot going for it. I think it has the requisite romance and fun and kind of swashbuckling energy that you would want from a Star Wars film. I appreciate that it's quite a calculated film, and I think that is to its fault, but I don't think that makes it bad. And I think there are plenty of choices in this film that are really compelling. I think the problem with this film is that it sets up something really interesting that's unfortunately not really resolved in a compelling way with the next two films in the saga. Although I will say, I think The Last Jedi is quite good, actually. I really like it. So, yeah, I think there's lots to recommend about both films, but you've got to give it to the the OG. I mean, Star Wars 1977 is just a, a work of of pure cinema, and I can't believe that Daniel has besmirched its great name today. I I, I think people are gonna people are gonna have his head. I, I really think they are. Um, so I'm um, yeah. Star Wars 1977. Beautiful memories from childhood. Beautiful memories today. I love it. Love Star Wars. Just beautiful. Just beautiful. I'm gonna I'm gonna stand back now before I I burst into wells of of tears. Good choice, Johnny. Um, obviously, the 1977 film is superior. I think it's just a really tight, entertaining piece of escapism. And again, I think it's more inventive and artistically interesting than critics usually give it credit for. And I think, like David, there's a reason why it stood the test of time and will continue to do so. I think The Force Awakens is perfectly fine, soft sequel. The term I just pointed out, you heard it here first. Um, <laughs> and I think I think it was a it was a safe bet for inaugurating Disney's Age of Star Wars, but it's limited and contains far too much contrived, irritating fan service, which really spoils it for me. It's not something I really talked about um, in the main discussion, but for me, I think I've kind of gone the opposite journey from a lot of people. I think that lots of people, when they came out of The Force Awakens, really liked it for good reason, that, you know, it was obviously well-directed, well-cast, all-around decent film, high production values, but then on repeat viewings... Um, I think people sort of appreciated that it doesn't offer all that much more. And I think the fact that it is a remake of the original film became more apparent. And I also think, touching slightly on what you're saying, David, that things like the Abrams trick of creating these mystery boxes that are then really difficult to solve in a satisfying way started to become apparent. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think for me, I went when I first came out of the cinema, I really didn't like it, partly for legitimate reasons and partly because I was the petulant nerd who had bad expectations. But now, kind of taking it for what it is, I appreciate that it's it's perfectly fine, if ultimately not very interesting. Okay, well, thank you, gentlemen, for your forceful opinions. Oh. <laughs> and thank you. By the way, there's going to be more than one forced joke. Oh, outro, good. So. <laughs> Watch out for I just, I'm just going to disconnect from the call now. I'm going to say my bye now. <laughs> Goodbye. And thank you for your attention, dear listeners. Remember to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast player. And if you're feeling especially nice, why not leave us a review? Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to receive all the latest Remake Rumble rumours, slanders, and updates on Daniel's plummeting midichlorian levels. Until next time, may the force be with you all. And also with you. Not not with you. <laughs>